apologize in advance. I don't have as cool of an accent as Alex. I was trying to figure out if they could pipe in like a, an Australian accent or something cool so I could be uh, as, as you know awesome as him. But I'll just speak like I speak. Uh, as Alex said, I'm over at Horizon Church, which is in Reisterstown. It's a very similar church to here. Uh, we love it there. I'll uh, just give you a little bit of background, even though you, didn't, you don't really care, but just so you know who I am. Um, I've been married to my wife, Megan, for 15 years. We have three kids. Um, they're, they're wonderful, but we uh, face challenges like everybody else. We don't have a perfect family, uh, but we love, uh, love each other, and we're doing our best. Uh, we're doing our best to uh, serve God in the church where we're at. So he, I do lead a link group, a small group there, and preach occasionally. Uh, basically, I was a youth pastor for five years. Patrick St. Clair, who is on the drums today, was in my youth ministry, so that was random. I saw him here today over at Mountain is where I worked, and then um, I headed to seminary uh, down in Kentucky, and then upon graduation, entered into the business world. So kind of a random story. I can tell you about it later if you're interested. Uh, but uh, th- this morning, I just wanted to come to you and share uh, some of the thoughts that we have been working on at Horizon, because I thought you guys are in a similar place, and maybe they could be helpful to you. We've been exploring at Horizon um, over the past couple years what, what markers we should be striving for as a Christian community, what ought to set us apart if we're going to be um, a, a different kind of a place, not, not like our culture around us, what should make us uh, stand out, what markers should, should be on our church that people notice. And so um, we've explored some, some of those things, and one of the things that really has been uh, a focus of ours is the issue of forgiveness. Uh, that forgiveness within our community and within our own personal lives ought to mark us and uh, make us uh, definitely stand apart from the way our culture does forgiveness. And so I figured since I just have one shot to preach to you, why not preach about something really difficult and overwhelming? Uh, you don't have to see me next week, so it should be good. Uh, so Jan, I want to start with a quote from Johann Arnold. He wrote a little book called Why Forgive that you should check out. It's a beautiful book. He says this, forgiveness is a door to peace. It is a small, narrow door and cannot be entered without stooping. It is also hard to find, but it can be found. Just remember that once there, only you can open it. That's a beautiful picture to me. Forgiveness is a door to peace. When you enter through it, you will find peace on the other side, in your own life, in your own heart and mind and soul, and certainly in the life of a community. When we forgive each other, it is a door to having a peaceful community. As the quote said, it can be hard to find. Forgiveness is not easy, but you can find it. Only you can make that decision to open it, though. Resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness is very common in our culture, certainly in in people's personal lives, certainly within families, and definitely in churches. People leave churches all the time for various reasons. Uh, They get upset about this or that. This ministry isn't serving their needs. This isn't that kind of a place. I'm sure nobody leaves here for those kinds of reasons. But uh, people do, they they hold grudges, and one of the reasons people leave churches or have grudges in families or in their personal lives is simply that they're not willing in the end to forgive or work toward resolution or deal with the messiness of conflict. And I would say that part of being a healthy person and being a healthy church, certainly having a healthy family, all those things, is to do that, to have hard discussions, to conflict in a healthy way, to go through that messiness and when we inevitably hurt each other, to forgive. But forgiveness can seem very difficult, even impossible. One of the things I want to express right off the bat this morning, uh, before we go deeper, is that forgiving, in my opinion, is a choice. Forgiving is something we choose to do. We do not wait on whatever anyone else does or doesn't do. We can choose either to forgive or not to forgive. 
You can choose to forgive the person who hurt you. And what I've seen firsthand again and again is that when you refuse to forgive, you think that you're holding that other person to account in some way and that that's going to teach them a lesson. But in the end, unforgiveness only hurts you. I say I've seen that firsthand because my family has a a long history, not my current family, but my family of origin, has a long history of holding grudges. That's very unfortunate. Right now, in fact, there's a grudge going on between uh, two of my family members that they haven't spoken in four years. To their immediate fam- they were immediate family, and they just refused to re- resolve their conflict. My grandmother, who was one of my favorite people in the world, loved her dearly. Uh, she didn't speak to her own sister for the last 30 years of her life. There's a pattern in my family where you learn this. If you get hurt, you, you run away, and you hold it in, and you never deal with that conflict. And what I've noticed watching these conflicts again and again is that I get what I just said, people think that they're hurting the other person, but they only hurt themselves. I have this picture uh, in, my, in my head of the one who refuses to forgive. I picture like this, this person all dressed up in prison uh, guard, a prison guard uniform. They're all like, you know, ready and official to be a guard. And they grab this person that hurt them and they throw them in a prison cell and they close the door and lock it, leave them in there for years at a time. They just... Every day they stew over what that person has done to them, how they've hurt them. I just hope they're in there learning their lessons. They'll never hurt me again, never hurt anyone else again in that way. They just let them rot in there for years at a time. When they finally feel ready to let that go, they go to that prison cell and open up the door, and this person is old and haggard and dirty and wasting away, and they're kind of bent at the waist, and they kind of shuffle out of the prison cell. But when they see that person, they don't see a repentant prisoner, they, they, they see their own haggard, dirty face. That whole time, they were the only one in prison. The great Nelson Mandela, who I would consider a, an expert on forgiveness, said something similar. He said, resentment or unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. <laughs> right? If I just drink this down, it's going to really hurt them. They often don't even know the resentment you're holding, right? Unforgiveness and bitterness only hurts you. And actually, it was cool. I read this book recently uh, that had some studies that have been done in the scientific community that are showing that this is true scientifically, that if you forgive the one who hurt you, that there are physical and emotional benefits. And conversely, holding a grudge against those who have hurt you is scientifically linked, check this out, with higher levels of stress hormones, higher blood pressure, weight gain. That's probably the issue in America. It's not our diet. It's that we're holding grudges. Uh, The inability to focus, and check this, even the inability to form new memories. When discussing these uh, studies, Mike McCargue said, when we don't forgive others, we put ourselves in mental, emotional, and physical bondage. The person who hurt us may have put us in a cage, but we're the only ones who can set ourselves free. Unforgiveness keeps you from moving forward. I don't know if anybody here is struggling with unforgiveness. I've prayed as I came this morning that this word would be for somebody here. It will keep you from moving forward. It makes future growth and development nearly impossible. It keeps you constantly living in the wasteland of the past. There's nothing there, but it keeps you there. Speaker Vince Antonucci says, this is, I find it really profound. Forgiveness is releasing our hope for a better past. It's letting go of what we wish would have happened or would not have happened. 
and it's choosing to move forward. It's a choice. When you won't forgive, see, you can't live in the present. You can't, the way I see it is unforgiveness, what it does is it sort of takes all the energy that, that God has put within us that is intended for relationships, and it stores up all that energy, and it funnels it into this resentment and anger, rage, whatever it is, unforgiveness. And we, literally, we have no, no reserves left. We have nothing left to give to the relationships in front of us. The good, life-giving, beautiful relationships God's intended us for because all of our energy is being funneled toward that bitterness. Ultimately, unforgiveness leads to a victim mentality where we're always looking to others and what they did that sort of defines who we are instead of either in the mirror or to God to tell us who we are. And a victim mentality always leads to stagnation where we look inward never, and never outward. We're not look focused on the people in front of us. We're thinking about how we've been hurt and how we need others to make it up to us. And others have wronged us, and they should do this, and they should do that. And our thoughts are all tied up in ourselves. That leads in the end to this ugly self-centeredness. Church and brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know you, but I want to say to you this morning, the only way to release your heart from the bitterness that you might feel is by the grace of God through the strength of his spirit to choose to forgive the one who has hurt you. That's it. People think that, you know, they lose a loved one to a violent offender or something like that, and they think, I want justice. If only I get justice, that's going to release me. It's not going to release your heart. Neither is revenge, or neither is shutting them out of your life, neither is refusing to let it go, neither is waiting for that perfect apology. Whatever you were doing to try to make it feel better, all of that's going to ultimately backfire. The only thing you can do is to release that bitterness and forgive. One of the best movies I've seen in the past few years, some of you may have seen, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's called Philomena. And uh, it's the amazing and true story of a young Irish girl who became pregnant out of wedlock in 1952, very taboo at that time. And so she was sent to a convent to sort of uh, not disgrace her family, I guess. She gave birth to her son in the convent. Her son um, kind of grew up with her there in the nursery while she was a nun. And then when their son was two, unbeknownst to her, he was adopted out to an American family. She was devastated, and um, she spent the next 50 years searching for her son. Um, even even teamed up with a journalist, the movie shows, and it's a true story, teamed up with a journalist to go to America and search for him. Uh, and during the search, she found out some terrible information about uh, the nuns who she had been living with, that they had not just adopted her son out without her knowledge, but that they had actively tried to keep the information from her for all those years to keep her from ever finding her son. And uh, I can't imagine the rage that she must have felt when she found that out, just the devastation and the, the sorrow. And there's a scene near the end of the movie where she and this reporter kind of go back for a reckoning sort of deal with these nuns. And they meet with this primary nun who's now elderly who had done the majority of this. And there's a scene where you think that this woman, Philomena, is just finally going to unload on these nuns. And she says to this nun, Sister Hildegard, I forgive you. And the, the reaction of the journalist in that moment, who himself was furious at all that had happened and what they had done, 
is so telling. He says, "What?" He's outraged. He says, "What? What? Just like that?" And she says, "No, it's not just like that. That was hard for me. But I don't want to be full of bitterness like you. It must be exhausting." The reaction of the journalist is like a picture to me of the, our culture's view of forgiveness, especially that radical sort of Christian forgiveness. It's understood in our culture that if you do something egregious, you're going to have to pay for it. If you hurt someone deeply, especially on purpose, you're going to have to do a lot to make amends before you get forgiven, before you're given another chance. And to forgive someone before they even admit they did anything wrong is seen as uh, ridiculous. Like, you're letting them off the hook. Our, our culture responds with this, like, even anger, unbelief. Like, what are you doing? They didn't even say they were sorry. Well, forgiveness was very close to the heart of Jesus. The gospel writers record him speaking about forgiveness throughout his ministry, even right from the very beginning. In the Sermon on the Mount, his first sermon, Jesus said these words, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I think what Jesus is emphasizing here is that our relationships with each other is a crucial part of our relationship with God. That we cannot have a clean, pure you know, unstained relationship with God and yet have all this nastiness in our relationships with each other. If we know someone has something against us, we go to them and fix it before we go to God. And certainly if we know we have something against someone else, we go to them and fix it. That's what followers of Jesus do. In the same sermon, Jesus dealt with the legal notion of an eye for an eye. This was an ancient legal right. If someone you know, stole from you, they lost something in similar, you know, also. If they hurt, poked out your eye, they lost their eye. That's where that came from. It was in the Old Testament. Jesus flipped that on its head also. He said, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other also so they can strike that one. He's basically saying that if you want to follow me, you give up your right to revenge. You give up your right to strike back when someone hurts you. I'm sure many of you were also amazed, as I was, at the response of the Amish community after the shooting back in 2006. Whenever I think of forgiveness, I think of that story. Ten little girls aged 6 to 13 were either injured or killed when the man entered their school and shot it up. I was reading an article about that awful tragedy recently, and I realized that it struck me a lot differently now than it did then. Uh, in 2006, I was horrified at it, but it didn't very, really hit close to home. And now I have a 7- and a 10-year-old girl. Um, the only thoughts that come to me when I think of someone hurting them, <laughs> um, yeah, just thoughts of rage, revenge. Like, I would literally want, feel like I would do anything to anyone if they were going to hurt my girls. And then... I think about what the Amish people did, and yet, just mere hours after the tragedy, they extended love and forgiveness to the shooter's family. They visited the shooter's widow. They visited his parents, with one Amish man holding the shooter's sobbing father in his arms for an hour, comforting him. 
they set up a charitable uh, donation, you know, thing for the family of the shooter. They attended the shooter's funeral to offer support, and they invited the shooter's widow to the funerals of the young girls. <laughs> like that's just crazy. It baffled me. Not only that they did all of it, but that they did it right away. It was an instant reaction. In the Wikipedia article about the shooting, it really gave a clear picture of our culture's view again. It said, many criticized the quick and complete forgiveness with which the Amish responded, arguing that forgiveness is inappropriate when no remorse has been expressed. That's what I was talking about earlier. Forgiveness is not appropriate if the person hasn't said they're sorry, they haven't made amends, if they haven't tried to make it right. You just don't forgive them. You wait. You hold on to it. And I think in our culture, it's sort of seen as disrespectful of our own dignity to just forgive someone, to let them off the hook, to let that go. It somehow lessens the seriousness of what they've done, right? Or it somehow, in some undefinable way, it cheapens forgiveness. It makes it easier. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. And yet Jesus calls us to forgive between one blow to the face and another. Jesus' teaching on forgiveness that sticks with me the most is from Matthew 18. I wanted to dive into that with you briefly. So Peter came to Jesus and asked a question about forgiveness. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? So just to give you some context of this verse, this was, a, this was a debate going on in this time among rabbis. Among the Jewish rabbis, they were saying, how many times do you have to forgive someone when he sins against you? Is it two? Is it four? And every rabbi was somewhere different. The most liberal, gracious rabbis, the one who were the, the, really pushing people to be gra- the most gracious, were saying seven times forgive your brother. And people were like, wow, seven times. That's crazy. So, you know, Peter, knowing that Jesus was all about forgiveness, says, Is that your answer too, Jesus? Is it seven times? Is that what you agree with? And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Or some translations say seven times seventy. The reaction would have just been like, what? I don't understand. Like seven was the max, Jesus. What are you talking about? The point is that there's no number. Jesus took the literal question and he turned it upside down again. He said, There is no limit because we never stop forgiving the people who hurt us, ever. If your mother, your father, your brother, a friend hurts you hundreds of times, if you are to be marked as a Christian, you never stop forgiving them. There is no limit. And then he tells this parable to get his point across. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That's like a lifetime of work, maybe more than a lifetime of work. And he wasn't able to pay. So the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Just to pause right there, he wasn't being cruel. This guy could have had this servant killed or tortured. He just was saying, sell him to slavery. I'll get some of my money back. We'll call it good. This is what they did back then. At this, the servant, though, fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Well, the servant's master actually saw him as a human. That's what we read here. Saw him as a real person, and he took pity on him. And he canceled the debt, the entire huge debt, and let him go. It's amazing. That was an incredible gift. 
But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a few bucks, maybe a hundred bucks. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. That's how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother, says from the heart. Now, just to pause here. God is not exactly like this master because God doesn't torture us right when we do something wrong. It's important to remember that. This is not an analogy. This is a parable. So this doesn't line up exactly with God's character. But Jesus is using this to get a point across. A parable is a false story, an untrue story, but it says a true point. And in this brilliant parable, Jesus is making the point that it is utterly ridiculous for us once God has forgiven us a massive debt that we could never repay to then turn around and refuse to release our brother or sister from a debt that is tiny by comparison. We often hold militantly to the wrongs committed against us. We want total restitution. We want to see a change in the person. We want to see a perfect apology, verbal and life change. And we, In that moment, we are that servant choking the other person, demanding our hundred bucks back. In that moment, we forgot the millions of dollars, so to speak, we've been forgiven. Not after we made reparations for all we've done. Not after we expressed perfect remorse. Not after we had a total change of heart. But while we were in the midst of our sin, the Bible says, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. When we didn't even know we had a debt. Forgiveness recognizes, guys, that we are not the judge. Extending unconditional forgiveness to those who have hurt us is an act of faith and trust in God. It recognizes that God is good and just, and he is going to take care of all the wrongs done against us in his perfect, just way. And conversely, refusing to forgive actively doubts and questions the goodness of God. It says, I'm not sure you're going to deal with this appropriately, God, so I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm not going to forgive until this and this and this happen. But we can trust God. He is good and he is just, and he will take care of it. Romans 12 says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I'll take care of it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When someone hurts you, that's evil. Overcome it with good, with forgiveness. I must trust God to deal with me fairly, and I must trust him to deal with those who hurt me. What's up to me is my choice to forgive. I'm called to forgive as I have been forgiven. I want to close with telling you a story I recently read um, that was pretty remarkable. It it was in that book I mentioned, Why Forgive? And um, it, show, it kind of illustrates everything I've been talking about, that forgiveness is a choice. 
and that uh, we can choose it regardless of what happens or what others do. It's a, it's a story about a monk named Christian de Church. This monk had dedicated his life to the people of Algeria, to God and the people of Algeria. And uh, it was a rough place to be a monk or a, a pastor of any kind. In the mid-1990s, that, that's when Islamic terrorists were taking over Algeria. They were um, causing huge problems there and killing a lot of foreigners or Christians uh, in particular. And so he was certainly aware that that was a possibility for him, but he chose not to leave. Um, bef- in the midst of that, he, d- he wrote a letter in case anything might happen to him and gave it to his mother uh, to be opened in case he was ever killed. And um, sure enough, he was killed by terrorists a couple years later, along with all of the monks at his monastery. Um, and then uh, his mother publish- publicized the letter, and I wanted to read that letter to you. It's an overwhelming example of radical Christian forgiveness. He said, if it should happen one day, and it could be today, that I become a victim of the terrorism that now seems to encompass all the foreigners living in Algeria, I would like my community, my church, my family to remember that my life was given to God and to Algeria, and that they accept that the sole master of all life was not a stranger to this brutal departure. I would like when the time comes to have a space of clearness that would allow me to beg forgiveness of God and of my fellow human beings and at the same time to forgive with all my heart the one who will strike me down. I could not desire such a death. It seems important to me to state this. My death, obviously, will appear to confirm those who hastily judged me naive or idealistic. Let him tell us now what he thinks of it. But they should know that for this life lost, I give thanks to God. And check this out. In this thank you, which is said for everything in my life from now on, I certainly include you, my last-minute friend, who will not have known what you were doing. I commend you to the God in whose face I see yours. And may we find each other happy, good thieves in paradise, if it please God, the Father of us both. Wow. This man was able to conceive of the one who would murder him, as a friend, as an equal, as a sinner potentially saved by God, just as he was a sinner saved by God. And he was able to pray for the best for him, even that he would find Christ, that they would be like the good thieves on the cross next to Jesus, the good thief who found him at the end. It's a beautiful picture of Christian forgiveness. Forgiveness is really hard, but it's a choice, not a feeling. I want to say today that we may not feel like forgiving, but it's a choice we can make. And if we're still struggling with hurt and anger, we hope that our feelings toward the one who hurt us catch up with our decision to forgive. Because forgiveness and healing aren't the same thing. Healing takes place over time, and that's God's job. But forgiveness takes place as soon as we choose it, and that's our part. We, we choose to be just like Jesus in that. The Jesus who forgave, not when we'd made it right, but while those who mocked him and spit on him and beat him and tortured him and killed him did it, he forgave them right then. That's the Jesus we follow. And as I've said, while some would say that tramples on our dignity, I would say never has someone been more dignified than in that moment. 
May we as Christ followers be a people known for our forgiveness. May this church be known for the way you forgive each other. You forgive those in your life. May you be a door to peace in this community. May we forgive like we've been forgiven. Let's pray.